Now, this Mrs. Taylor that I was so friendly with at the Y, one day when I was off, I was reading in the living room, and she was on the desk, and she came in to me, and she said, Martin, are you off this afternoon? And I said, yes, I am. And do you want me to do something for you? Or She said, well, there's an American officer out here, and he's just arrived in Halifax, and he's very interested in Canadian history. He's from Boston, and he wanted to know if there was someone in here who could show him the main high points along Barrington and Citadel Hill. And uh, I said, I don't know. She said, come out and meet him. He's a very nice gentleman. I like him, and I wouldn't have come and got to if I didn't think I, that you would be all right with him. And I went out and met him, and his name was Bud Crookshanks. Gosh, I haven't thought of that name for years. And he was an officer on an LST, which was a landing ship that was going to land. They were going to, the ones that took the troops uh, ashore, like they had these huge freighters with LSTs on, and then they rolled them off, and the guys were on these LSTs and they rolled them up on the they were supposed to be able to roll them up on the beaches most of them sunk and the guys had to swim with all their equipment onto shore they lost an awful lot of men on that beach on Normandy because of that but anyway he was an officer in charge of one of these and was quite frank with telling me that and that he had been married two weeks before he left Boston and he really missed his wife. And of course, here's her picture, and she's beautiful. And she's a telephone operator. And uh, he had lived in Milton and had gone to the University of Boston. And, um, and all this is chit-chat as we're walking down the street, and he had a camera. And what I can't believe is that he took pictures uh, almost everywhere we went, and he got away with it. Whereas Dad almost got thrown in the brig for taking one picture from Citadel Hill. But maybe because he was an American officer or something? I don't know. Maybe officers were allowed to do this. But he had a camera and he was very interested in Citadel Hill, which is a huge fortress overlooking the harbor in Halifax. And, um, and I showed him everything that was there that was beautiful. There was a Spring Hill Gardens that are, it's a beautiful park. And we walked through there and they had like peacocks roaming free. And uh, anyway, we went out to dinner and uh, I guess he was going to, he was there about a week, I would think. Anyway, he asked me if, this was a Friday night, he asked me if I would like to go out to dinner at the Nova Scotian Hotel on Saturday night. You'd heard that they had a very nice dinner. And of course, the Nova Scotian was like Fort Garry is here. And he said, do you have any civilian clothes? And I said, yeah, but they're nothing very special. And he said, oh, we're civilian clothes because really we shouldn't be seen together, an officer and going out socially, walking along the streets. Okay, but socially is, he said, I, he said, that's the way it is in the American forces. Is it the same? And I said, yes, actually, it is the same. And I think I borrowed 
a red two-piece dress from somebody and felt pretty spiffy. <laughs> Don't know what I did for shoes. But, uh, and, and I probably wore my Air Force coat or somebody else had a coat, I don't remember. But it blizzarded that day and it snowed and it snowed and it snowed and I thought, well, you know, I was still on my three-day thing at the Y and um, I never expected him to show up. He showed up. There wasn't a thing moving outside. It was just snowing. And by then the snow was like over a foot deep. And he said, well, I promised you I'd come. And I thought, well, she's waiting and she's probably gone to a lot of trouble to get some civilian clothes, so I can't let her down. And he said, it's just a walk. Anyway, it's only a block over to the Nova Scotian. So I said, what do you think, Mrs. Taylor? And she said, well, take a try. You know, you might go over there and have a very nice time. But don't stay too long because this snow is going to get really deep. So we went over to the Nova Scotian and they cancelled the dinner because the band, the orchestra hadn't showed up. It was a dinner dance. And there were quite a few people who had, were staying in the hotel. And they were looking for dinner too. So we were able to have dinner, but we couldn't dinner dance. So after we finished dinner, he said, well, I'll tell you, I got a really good idea. He said, what we'll do is we'll walk up and down the halls till we hear a party. And then we'll knock on the door. And when they open the door, we'll say, oops, we've got the wrong room. And if they're having a good enough party, they'll invite us in. Which we did. And it was... Um, I believe two or three couples in there, older than we were. And I imagine, I can't remember whether the men were officers or what, but they were. the women were very well-dressed and older than I was by quite a bit. And one of the women was telling fortunes with cards, and they had booze. And so we stayed with them, sat on the floor with them. Then we played cards, poker for a while, and she told fortunes with cards and we had a couple of drinks with them. And then, of course, we realized that we better get back to the Y or he would never get back to his ship because he had a long walk. And we barely made it back to the Y. And I thought, he'll never make it back to the ship. And uh, Mrs. Taylor said to him, I don't have any rooms, or I'd even put you up in here, but you can try the Y next door. But I'm sure they're full too. That's the YM. He said, "No, I've got to get back to my ship. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm the duty officer, so I've got to get back." He did get back. Fine. Anyway, the next day, the snow had stopped, and Everybody was outside, up to their knees in snow, you know, and the trucks were trying to get down the street, and it was just a scream, and it had turned into a lovely sunny day, and the snow was just starting to melt, perfect for snowballs and snowmen. And here are all these 18, 20, 22-year-old people out there acting like kids. We made snowmen. We set up 
on one side of the street a, a snow fence and on the other side of Barrington Street a snow fence. And the Army and Navy were on one side and the Air Force, or the Air Force and Army on one side and the Navy on the other side. And we had snowball fight back and forth across the street. I got hit so many times. I never ducked fast enough. <laughs> and air service women and service men both. And even the civilians coming by, some of them would join in, you know, make a couple of snowballs and go across. Eventually we got stopped because we were hitting cars that were going by and now in state trucks. And of course there were always the service police driving by in their Jeeps and they never wanted to see you having any fun. But I remember that thinking then, you know, isn't this neat? It's like so much fun. Anyway, I went out with Bud Crookshanks a couple of times after that. And he's the only, only twice in the whole time that I was there, I did something I was not proud of, but I'm glad I did it. I guess, I don't know how to put it exactly, but I, I was so careful about being secret, about being in bomber ops. But when Bud Crookshanks and I were having dinner and he was telling me that he was on an LST, and I knew what an LST was, and I knew what they were in for, and I told him, well, I knew that because I was in bomber ops. And he was quite interested in that, that you were in bomber ops. So he said, just before they sailed, like he was in Halifax about two weeks. I didn't see him all that much. But just before they sailed, he came to the building where I worked and asked if I'd come downstairs. And I came downstairs and we went out for a walk. I was told Mr. Wilde I was just going out of the building for a little while. I had a friend I had to see that was on his way overseas. And he said to me, I know that you won't want to do this, but it would be a real favor for me if you would. He said, you'll know when I go. And I said, yes, I know. And he said, do you know now? And I said, no, I don't. But I'll know the minute you pass the harbor end. He said, would you do a favor for me? And I said, well, I don't know, it just depends what it is. And he said, I'm going to give you my wife's phone number in Boston. He says, she knows about this. I want you to phone her as if she's an old friend of yours and just have an ordinary conversation that you, not about the weather or anything, but talk about Bud as if I'm a friend of yours. And, uh, that we were out together this afternoon. And she'll know that that means that I've left. And I phoned her. And I felt, I, it took me so long to get up the nerve to do that because it was just, I think, not that night, but the next day or the following day, just within a day or two, while I just mulled it over in my mind and when the convoy went, I thought, you know, she's probably just worried sick. If it was my husband, I would be just worried sick and not hearing anything and not hearing anything. So I went over to a pay phone in the railway station and I phoned this number in Boston and I asked for her by name 
and she came to the phone and I said, hi, Lil, or whatever her name was. I said, it's Isabel. I just haven't heard from you for a long time and thought I'd just give you a call. How are you? Th how are things? You know, how are you doing? How are you working still shifts? Yeah, well, I'm still working shifts too, and I'm not that crazy about it. Although I had a really nice afternoon on Tuesday. I was out with Bud walking, and it was a beautiful day. And, and just, you know, like that, as casual as could be. And, and she said, gee, thanks, Isabel. It was really nice to hear from you. Thanks for phoning me. Goodbye. And we hung up. And I started to cry in the booth. Anyway, um, I knew, uh, he promised me that he would uh, um, write me as soon as he got there. You know, as soon as the first mail went, and I never heard. And uh, I think he was, he was such a nice, ordinary guy, you know. Um, I'm positive he didn't make it. And uh, I've always thought that if I went to Boston, I'd look her up. remarried or something by now. Anyway, the other time that I did it was much happier. I uh, had a friend uh, in Winnipeg who was married when she was 16 because her boyfriend was going away in the Navy. And he was going on, and I can't remember the name of the ship, but it was a huge ship. And uh, he would come into Halifax every once in a while. He was running the Atlantic run. And they also had been in the Mediterranean. They had been through an awful lot. I wish I could remember the name of this ship. It's quite a famous one. If you ever read a history of the American Navy or the Canadian Navy during the war, his ship name will come up in it. Anyway, um, when he finally got on to this Atlantic run after being in the Mediterranean, she came out to Halifax to live. And the only place they could find was a one-room place for her to live in. But I was so thrilled when she wrote and told me that, and Len, his name was, was going to be coming to Halifax maybe once every month or so. And so it would be worthwhile for her to come. And... And um, she was going to come to Halifax as long as he was doing that. And that way she'd have a chance to see him because she hadn't seen him for two years, three almost. And um, so she phoned me, phoned the Eastern Air Command, and I knew the girl on the main switchboard. You weren't supposed to take phone calls in Eastern Air Command, but the girl on the main switchboard, I knew her. And... Very often she would send a call through to the ops room for me, which was really nice of her, I thought. And I think she'd have got heck if she got caught, but I was okay on the other end. <laughs> um, and uh, so we arranged to meet. I told her where I was, where the building was, and everything. It was easier for her to find me than it would be for me to find her. And uh, I told her I was off the next day. And the next day was a Saturday. And on Saturdays, we were allowed to invite 
civilians as guests into our dining room on this lovely new Gorsberg station that we were on. But we had to pay 25 cents for them to have lunch with us. And Dorothy came in, and, and, and a lot of the uh, girls would bring, like I took Mrs. Taylor there once, and uh, and other women that I met, uh, church women who would be volunteers that I got to know very well or by name or something. Occasionally I would invite one of them to come on a Saturday lunchtime, usually, or dinner. Lunch was usually the thing to do. Anyway, Dorothy came in and she was flabbergasted at what accommodation we had. If she had seen me in Wide Apple, she wouldn't have liked it. But to see me at Gorsebrook, where it was really nice and probably one of the nicer air women's bases in Canada, and what we got to eat and how nice the girls were and how great they were with her and, and uh, oh, your husband's in the Navy, what ship's he on and all that stuff, you know. And so I saw Dorothy quite a bit. And she lived in one room in a house. That was the only place she, and she was lucky to get it, just a very small room. And Len would come in and he'd be in port maybe for just long enough almost to turn around, but he'd be in, well, two, three, four days. And I wouldn't see her during that time. But she wanted to join the Air Force. She thought this was wonderful. Wouldn't it be great? She'd have a uniform and she'd be, you know, and if she was lucky, she could maybe even get into help. I didn't tell her about all the other awful stations she could get on. But uh, she asked him if, and he said, no, definitely not. I want you here waiting for me. So she did. And then um, he changed uh, his, he didn't come into Halifax anymore. He was going into Newfoundland. So she went back to Winnipeg. And uh, before she left, she said to me, is there any way at all or anybody you know who knows where his ship will be or when he's going to be coming back to Canada to stay or where I could meet him again? And I said, well, I don't know. We'll see if I can find out something. Well, I knew that I would know. And, uh, um, but I had never told her like how much I knew. Anyway, his ship was coming back and it was going after the war through the Panama Canal around to Vancouver. And uh, actually to Esquimalt. And um, boy, I tossed that around in my mind for a long time. How am I going to tell her that? So I wrote her a letter and I told her about this really neat guy I had met. Um, and he was from Vancouver Island. So that would tell her it was Esquimalt, you know. And uh, he was in the Navy. His name was Len. And uh, I was really looking forward to seeing him after the war. And I was expecting to be discharged pretty soon. And so it wouldn't be much more than a month, maybe before I'd see him again. I was thinking that I would take my discharge out there so that I'd be there when he got there. And she got it. And she was in Victoria when he got there. And I, I don't feel guilty about that one at all. I mean, what the heck? The war was over. You know, uh, I felt that that 
I'm glad I didn't tell the girls about that ship being sunk, the Schwinnigan. But that's the only twice that I can remember that I ever told anybody anything about what I did. Or It got to be kind of funny sometimes. You'd be at a dance and they had um, fair mile, what they called fair mile ships. They were maybe about 18 feet long, 18 to 20 feet long. They had very a very small crew on them and they just patrolled the mouth of the harbor. Um, there was a light ship out there and they would report to the light ship, but they'd just go back and forth. And um, it was more to make sure that submarines wouldn't put netting across, you know? And, and there was netting down there not to let the subs get through, but they had their own things that they did too. But I can remember more than once, several times, meeting sailors, and you always asked them what ship they were on, and they would always tell you because they were always proud of the ship they were on, you know. And this fellow told me that he was on a fair mile. And uh, I said, really, that must be exciting. I don't think I've ever seen a fair mile. I've seen corvettes and frigates and destroyers, and but I don't think I've seen a fair mile. I certainly had seen a fair mile, but he was so proud of being on a fair mile. I didn't felt I was going to kind of embarrass him by telling him I knew what a fair mile was. And I'm sure he wasn't very happy about being on one either. But he told me that, he said, it's pretty exciting, you know. Um... I mean, we've sunk at least three subs since we... They didn't have the ability to sink submarines, you know. And I said, wow. You know? <laughs> but anyway, it was hard to keep your mouth shut sometimes when a guy would be just lying so bluntly to you and you knew that he was just like, say, on the Halifax, Boston run. And he would be telling you about how terrible it was going across the Atlantic. And he had never been across the Atlantic. But that was all right. I mean, you know, what would I, what good would I have done him by telling him, oh, yeah? <laughs> he just wanted somebody to, to appreciate what he was doing. And he was doing the best. He was doing what he was told to do, you know. So...